This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Excited for this episode. We've got a lot to cover. It always feels like there's a lot to cover and it feels like things are constantly changing. Last week in markets, it was China and Evergrande. Now it's the global energy crisis. What's it going to be next week? <laughs> Who knows, Ren? That's the beauty of markets. They're always changing. But in this episode, we're going to be looking at the changing performance metrics at Woolies, breaking up the Facebook and Google ad duopoly and the world's biggest plant that is now pulling CO2 directly from the air and uh, the interesting investment opportunities that may be around that. But to start with, Ren, we both want to just have a chat about where we're currently standing on an, our side when it comes to investing. So there's this is unsponsored, but uh, we both use a NAB product, uh, Equity Builder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mentioned to you that I had upped my limit, mm-hmm. so I'd borrowed more money mm-hmm. and you had some strong thoughts about what I should do with it. And I uh, figured we should just save it and we can talk about it on the podcast. I didn't have strong thoughts about you, what you can do. You can do it whatever uh, sorry, you sorry. want. You have strong <laughs> thoughts about what you're going to do with your money. And no, I-, I have conflicting thoughts. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah Cause yeah. I also have cash sitting in my equity builder. Yeah. 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 Well, and like, it's a funny time in markets, you know, there's all, always reasons to be nervous. You know, I mentioned Evergrande last week, this energy crisis this week. We're seeing a lot of records being broken around the world. In the US, you know, we've seen all this chat about speculative trading and things being at a top. And there was recent reporting from the Wall Street Journal that this year has been a record year for options trading. Nine of the 10 biggest options trading days in history happened this year. The value of options is actually now bigger than the value, total value of the stock market. Uh, so like on one hand, there's like, is there all this speculation? On the other hand, uh, ETFs have had a massive uh, year. They've had a record year. I think they broke the record uh, in July for the most inflows in a year. So it took him seven months wow. to break the previous record. Wow. But, you know, countering that speculative narrative the biggest uh, inflows have been to VOO, which is Vanguard's S&P 500 product. That seems to indicate a level of sensible investing. Bond ETFs are having a record year. Property prices around the world are having a record year. You look at all that, you look at these rolling crises, there's a lot of reasons to be uncertain. Mm. So I'm excited to hear what your thoughts are and to try and figure out what I'm going to do with this money as well. Well, for me, it's actually more around the product itself. So you've got to invest in um, minimum chunks. 
and you can't like dollar cost average or anything like that. So you've got to like have a pretty high conviction of what you're going to be investing in. And then of course there's a payment period in which you're going to be paying it off. You could dollar cost average. Could in $10,000 chunks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could borrow a lot. <laughs> yeah, if you wanted to borrow 200 grand and do that for sure. <laughs> but uh, you can't do your whole, you know, 500 a fortnight yep. or whatever yeah, it yeah, may yeah. be. Uh, and the original reason for or the attraction for this product for me particularly was having the ability to invest in managed funds because this product not only gives you access to listed products but gives you direct access to managed. And I think the important context here is that most managed funds have a minimum investment. Have minimum. And without borrowing money, we don't quite have the financial means to uh, hit Well, some yeah, of- <laughs> the liquidity to do so. Yeah, the liquidity to do so. However, since then... Well, since then, the market has also just gone ballistic. And so a lot of managed funds are struggling to keep up. Yep. But also a lot of managed funds are now creating listed products. So that accessibility issue is now uh, not as prevalent as it was before. You don't need a minimum to get access to, you know, the Magellans and, and other funds here in Australia. And it's obviously playing out around the world as well. And so then we also have a number one policy here that we hate fees. And so when you kind of combine all of that together, it sort of begs the question for me, you know, if you're going to take this long-term approach and a leveraged position, is there, I'm just tossing up now between just going into that ETF mode and I don't need the managed fund. Uh, I can't justify paying the fees because the markets are giving seriously adequate returns Yes, if things are risky at the moment, maybe that is the time to think about managed funds. If the market were to turn, they might be able to manage the money better. But then I also consider, well, what is my existing portfolio and do I just double down on what I've got because I'm really happy with my current structure and just leverage it even further (laughs) because I've got a number of leveraged ETFs in there. So basically, uh, to summarise, you've borrowed money, your choices are putting it in managed funds, listed ETFs, or listed investment companies, and you don't know what you're going to do. Well, yeah, but I think the product that I want to put it in doesn't exist. What is it? It's like the bottom half of the NASDAQ. Oh, like a NASDAQ 500 to yeah, 1,000? Yeah, I don't want the top end of the tech market. And the, the way to access that would be to go like a small mid-capped fund manager. Yeah, yeah. So that would be the way to do it. But then their fees are just like 1.5%. 20% on profit and you're just like, that's just against what I talk about on yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah, So I'm in this predicament of like that's where I'm at and yeah. I'm just burning cash sitting there waiting to, for well, something. Well, you're not, you're not burning well, cash I mean, but it's burning, burning a hole time. in your pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So for people who are unfamiliar with the – product, there's a number of fund managers that you can invest in, but it's not open slather. It's not like you can just go to any fund manager and say- Well, there's one particularly that I want to put money in, but he's not on the, on the list. Let me guess. No, give me two guesses and I'll get it. Yeah. Uh, my first guess is Frazis. I don't know if he is, but that wouldn't be one. And my second guess is Fairlight. Yeah, Fairlight Asset Management, Nick Cregan. Small yeah. cat, love what he does. Unfortunately, he has an M fund, I'm pretty sure, but it's not not part of this uh, product list for NAB. And for me, just, you know, he does, his fees are probably on the highest higher end, but I think I just love listening to him and really want to back him in, but he's not on there. So now I'm in this, yeah, I'm in this big predicament. 
True, true. Maybe you should just, rather than getting this, uh, like, equity build alone, maybe you should just take a personal loan and pay higher interest. <laughs> no, no, no. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm slowly working through it. I'm enjoying the process of working through it. It's led me to really consolidate a lot of my portfolio, to be honest. I did a real deep dive on a lot of the ETFs, way too much overlap, and I really want to avoid that with these type of investments. And so... Yeah, I'll keep everyone updated on how it goes. But I'd love your thoughts because you're fresh. Uh, it's, it's just it's started burning a hole in my <laughs> yeah. pocket. Like the sparks are just <laughs> catching. <laughs> I haven't really thought about putting it in ETFs. I think I've got a pretty good coverage in terms of that core ETF holdings that I dollar cost average into. And I don't think I really need to borrow money to do that. But now that you've started talking about it, I'm like, maybe that is, that's the sensible approach. I liked the idea of the access that borrowing this money gave me to fund managers that I wouldn't otherwise be able to access. Mm -hmm. But you look at the list of all the fund managers and now the process is actually trying to figure out which ones it's like, who are the needles in that haystack of, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like 30 pages worth of potential Mm -hmm. funds. And so if we just start doing heaps of fund manager interviews on this podcast, you'll know that's just me trying to distill the list. <laughs> well, I, so I, I started this process like a few months ago and I've just come to realise that so many of them at the moment just hold very similar portfolios to some of the ETFs. Oh. And unless you go super concentrated, which is where I would definitely be going, mm. but, you know, a lot of them hold those top 10 or 15 positions that you're going to get in an ETF and it's... So yeah, that that's for me where you go. Well, if you're going to do that, and there's no point paying one and a half percent or one point three five percent. Yeah, I think if you're finding a large cap fund manager that basically just tracks an index, yeah, it's not worth paying the fees. Mm. For me, this rule isn't said with any authority. It's just sort of where my thinking is at. But where it's worth it paying for management is uh, small caps, emerging markets, and managers that are just the smartest people that you've ever come across who are just like the best investing minds that the world can offer you. Yeah. Well, so this is the other thing. So the, when I did portfolio review, I'm seriously underweight small caps. And I just know that that's given my age and time horizon, like I want to be much more weighted towards um, small caps. So then I did start looking at some of the small cap um, fund managers and, you know, what's in their portfolio, their performance, and very few of them have actually outperformed the small cap index. Oh, so if okay. you just because uh, I was going to say, uh, very few of them will have, will have outperformed the general index, but that's just because Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon just are setting an unrealistic benchmark. But, but the if small they cap index has been small, pumping it; like yeah, it's up okay. 46 percent or something Jeez. ridiculous. Yeah, and but that's that's my point. It's like to outperform that, like. You may as well just take the take just, the ETF. Why don't you just put it in a small cap ETF? Well, that's that's exactly where I'm at. It's just I, like <laughs> I don't I don't love the idea of a small cap ETF though because for for the gems there's also a number of duds. Of course, yeah, yeah, of course. But um, you're going to catch the gems as they come through, and the duds are going to ideally be weighted towards the bottom of the ETF, and you're going to get no. But some will start as top weighting. Some may have fallen out of the ASX 200 true, into true, the small cap true. index, and they'll keep falling. But I think what I'm tr- just getting at at the moment is we're just in in this really interesting dynamic of the market where everything's just going nuts, and so it's just hard to really differentiate between good management versus like index at the moment because for so long the index has just been pumping it that 
the value of a fund manager, I think, has just dwindled. Yeah, but no I feel like... No offence to all fund managers <laughs> out there. No offence to all fund managers out there. But I feel like that's exactly the conversation that happens before fund managers start to become really important. Yeah, and important. that's exactly. What's that saying? You don't know who's swimming naked until the tide, tide proceeds goes. or something? Yeah, well, yeah it's, not, but not, it's not before the tide comes in, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right now, like, it's high tide. Like, everyone is yeah. just... the. How many metaphors can I mix here? It's a rising tide is lifting all boats. Yeah. But, but at some point that tide will, will come out. Yeah. Yeah. Let's keep, uh, let's keep each other updated on what we do here. Yeah. Do you have anything more to add? Nah, except if NAB Equity Builder want to throw us a sponsorship for that <laughs> unsponsored plug, uh, you know where to get us. <laughs> well, speaking of keeping the finger on the pulse and updated, Ren, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I was invested in an ETF. KRBN is the ticker. It follows the carbon price. Yep. I got in on the 24th of August. I'm currently- Was CRBN taken as a ticker? Look, I didn't email. I didn't email them. I didn't email them. But I think it's named after the um, company, which is Crane Shares. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, we're not here to discuss the name. It could have been better. CRBN. Uh, I bought it on the twenty fourth of August. Currently up eleven and a half percent at the time of recording. It's a pretty volatile ETF. It has been up as much as twenty two percent in the last month or so. But it's now obviously meant, as we talk about in investing, that once you're in, you get in involved in the kind of topics that you're invested in and yeah. I've kept my finger on oh, the Oh, so pulse. you now finally care about carbon in the atmosphere. Yeah, I'm now ESG, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw a pretty interesting news article the other day around carbon capture and, and what's going on in that space. And sort of just to, to recap, carbon capture is all about capturing the CO2 before it enters the atmosphere, mm -hmm. taking it out of our atmosphere. And, and that's pretty crucial for us to Wait, hit. Sorry, just there's two separate technologies. There's carbon capture where you stop it going in the atmosphere. There's a whole other, uh, I guess, field where it's like actually removing it from the atmosphere. So oh, yeah. Well, we I, probably I shouldn't conflate the two. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, then this would be carbon recapture. <laughs> Where no, you're taking no. it out of the Oh, atmosphere. it's actually taking it out of the atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, it's taking okay. it out of the air. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And this is pretty crucial, we know, to getting to it towards um, carbon neutral. So it's a project by a business called Climeworks and the project is called Climeworks Orca and it's the biggest direct carbon capture plant in the world. It's in Iceland and what it does through fans the size of humans, they say it literally sucks the air Fans the size of humans doesn't actually sound that big. <laughs> yeah, I know. But anyway, it could be, could be bigger. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, think there's many of them. Yeah, like fans the size of buildings would be impressive. Oh, we're not going that big, no. And what it does, it sucks air out of foot, sucks, sucks in air and removes carbon. They say it can remove up to 4,000 tonnes of CO2 a year and it then stores it underground, turns it into rock essentially. But that's a really small fraction of the 33 billion tonnes of carbon that we are emitting each year. So uh, it's a small step towards a large problem. A human-sized fan on every home. <laughs> <laughs> it takes, as I said, uh, carbon dioxide from the air, injects it underground where it mixes with water and eventually they turn it into rock and it locks away the carbon. We've really gone full cycle. For 200 years we dug up the rocks and turned them into carbon and released them in the atmosphere and now we're pulling it back and turning them back into rocks and buried them underground. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> 
but yeah, it, it's just a, it, it's interesting because I'm invested in this carbon ETF and it tracks the price of carbon and, and we've spoken about carbon offsets and what this Orca plant does is sells um, these offsets to customers around the world. So it sells the most expensive carbon offsets. I was going to say, you compare the offset you get from planting a tree compared to this... Yeah. It's going to be more expensive. <laughs> Much more expensive. So th- their carbon offsets can cost up to a thousand euro a ton of CO two removed, but it's really in demand. So some of their customers include Audi, Shopify, and it's so popular that they have sold out of their credits for uh, an entire twelve year lifespan. So uh, as we spoke about the carbon offsets, Ren, um, there's no doubt that if my thesis for this ETF was that the demand for these off- offsets is only going to be increasing, therefore you think the price would be increasing over time and uh, this is just another example. But um, I could be wrong. My thesis could, could be wrong. I don't think the, the, price of the, the price of these offsets should hopefully come down as the technology becomes more cost-effective. Yeah, well, it's very expensive, this type of technology at the moment. Yeah, Six, yeah, I think yeah. about 600 a tonne and they hope to get it down to about 150 bucks a tonne. The thing for me that this story just really illustrates is the importance of putting a price on carbon. And, you know, we're recording in Australia and Australian politics has been the 2010s was defined by the, the energy wars, the climate wars, three prime ministers lost their leadership role because they tried to put a price on carbon. But if you look at how this project got up, they sold these credits to big companies around the world. And Mm. these companies, some of them would have needed to buy credits. Shopify is Canadian. I don't know what their, their regulatory arrangements are there, but I assume, I assume they need to buy credits as well. And that has underwritten this project. Yeah. Well, as all these companies now start making these commitments towards net zero, these sort of projects are going to become more and more important. Yeah. I mean, Europe's had a carbon trading scheme for years, mm. decades. No, not decades, but for a long time. Mm. Yeah. So uh, a little bit of context as well. Biden over in the States, he's announced a $3.5 billion fund for four direct air capture hubs over in the States. But I guess what does this mean from an investment opportunity there aren't actually many ETFs that track the price of carbon. KRBN is um, one of them, if not the only ETF. There is a exchange-traded note, which is really a debt facility. Um, it's called IPATH Series B Carbon ETN. But otherwise, not very many products at the moment to get sort of direct exposure to the carbon price uh, through an ETF. How do you think about the supply and demand dynamics though? Because like at a very simple level, the price of carbon is set by... Those that are creating offsets, uh, like this company, like the companies that, you know, plant trees and whatever and everything in between, you know, renewable energy generators, the supply side, they're creating carbon offsets or carbon credits. And on the demand side is companies, polluters that need to buy the credits and the price is set that way. If as technology like this comes online and more innovation happens, supply will likely increase... So there could be a world where supply moves faster than demand. Don't disagree with that at all. My thinking at this stage is that as it stands and for the foreseeable future, demand is outstripping supply drastically. Yeah, because everyone's making these commitments up front. Yeah, yeah. So, so supply just cannot keep up. I'm not saying that this is an ETF that I'm going to be in for 40 years because you would imagine that it gets to a point where it might start to flip the other way. But I think for me uh, it's something that I'm pretty confident that for the foreseeable future, maybe two, three, then reassess what's going on. But that demand is 
by far and away outstripping what's available on the supply side. Yeah, and don't come at us if uh, you're thinking, well, you know, governments uh, regulate this market and, you know, they can r- make rules around how many credits are created and all of that stuff. Yeah, we know. <laughs> we know. <laughs> uh, but on a simple level, that that was the question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, keeping the finger on the pulse, I'll uh, update you if anything else comes across my desk on the carbon ETF space. But, nice um, one. Let's take a quick break and then we're going to have a chat about the Facebook and Google ad duopoly. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Bryce, I'm sick of talking about your ETFs. We've done about 20 minutes. You telling me about what (laughs) ETFs you might buy and then what (laughs) ETFs you own. So uh, let's move away from uh, Bryce's ETFs chat. Um, I think there's an interesting trend emerging that's uh, worth paying attention to. We all own Facebook and Google in one way or another. Either we own them directly, we own them in ETFs, we own managed funds that own them. They own us. They own our (laughs) attention, (laughs) which is actually a great segue into what we want to talk about, which is their ad duopoly, Mm. because they do own our attention and they monetize that attention in a big way. And I think the 2010s was peak golden era, golden era, ad duopoly, Facebook and Google, they just built these unassailable ad businesses and legacy media businesses around the world struggled to keep up because just advertising dollars just flowed into into these two tech companies. By 2019, these two controlled over 60% of the global online ad market. They almost earned $180 billion in advertising revenue between the two of them. And in 2020, 88%, so 88 cents on every dollar of new digital advertising uh, went to Google and Facebook. That is crazy. Just unbelievable. But the reason I want to talk about it today is because it feels like there might be some cracks appearing and I think this is a trend that's worth watching. Um, okay. So Amazon is now a big player in the in the ad game. Okay. Did you? Through the platform? Like through through what? Through um, Amazon.com. Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, aren't they, now, aren't they like also almost now classified as a search engine in some way? Like the percentage of like search that starts on Amazon, on Amazon yeah. is like getting higher and Google is, you know, Google's still very dominant. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, a lot of people start searching for products on Amazon now rather than on, on Google. Google yeah, yeah. yeah. So in 2019, Google and Facebook's ad business was at 60% of the market, digital ad market globally. Uh, it's now back in the low 50s. And, and the biggest, uh, I guess, competitor that's muscling in is Amazon. So the last three quarters, they they don't split out advertising particularly, but they have this other business and advertising is the biggest share of that. Last three quarters, it grew 44% year on year, then 77% year on year, then 87% year on year. Wow. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Yeah. Over $7 billion in ad revenue in the last quarter. Jeez. Uh, And predictions are that they have uh, about 10% of the US digital ad market. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, and it makes sense, like... Amazon keeps surprising. 
just so dominant. Yeah. But, but it, it, like if you think about you want to be as an advertiser as close to the purchase decision as possible and, you know, Facebook are doing Facebook business and Facebook shops and mm. stuff like that. But traditionally it was probably two clicks away at a minimum from buying. Amazon, you can be one click. Google was probably two clicks as well because you have to click on the site and then click buy now. Amazon, you're there. Mm. And, like, if you can be at the top of an Amazon search for, like, a key product, if you're searching hair gel and it's the first one there, that's valuable because you're a big spender on that. Mm. But this year, two of the other big digital companies that are competing for our attention are getting serious about ads as well. So Spotify, one of your favourites. Yes. Tough year this year for the share price. Yes, <laughs> it is. It's But... I've actually used it as a chance to get in more. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's good. Well, it's good now that we're talking about this because I actually didn't know. So I'm glad that now they're getting into the advertising game. Well, they've been in the advertising game for a while, but not that strongly. Um, So they've had this Spotify for brands. They rebranded it last week as Spotify advertising. They've just launched a global campaign to attract more advertisers And their biggest challenge has been inventory. Like Mm. they haven't had enough Mm. ad inventory because if people are paying for Spotify and then podcasts have their own ads inserted before they actually get to the platform or like you play it on the platform, they're getting serious about advertising. They're building a whole bunch of new features and maybe we're biased, but I feel like audio advertising is a lot more effective than search advertising interesting harder harder to track a lot harder to track a lot harder to track yeah yeah their their whole thing is like they can be very contextual with the advertising Mm, you know mm, like mm. if spotify know you're cooking because you're playing your cooking music the music you play (laughs) when you're cooking or you're like listening to a podcast recipe or you know whatever it is they can hit you with context specific yeah 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 probably a better example is like if they know you're exercising (laughs) listening to a recipe (laughs) (laughs) Um, who would do that (laughs) Recipe podcast coming from Equity Mates 2022. But yeah, like if they know you're exercising, they can hit you with exercising related ads. I am very interested to watch their move, but you can see that what they're trying to do takes on that digital ad market. Um, yeah. But the last one, uh, and the one that I think is going to be particularly interesting, particularly for Facebook, is TikTok. Big. Yeah. Yeah. What are they doing? So TikTok have they were the fastest ever platform to hit uh, a billion monthly active users. Yeah. I think they announced that last week. But a billion monthly active users, for context, at the beginning of 2018, they had 55 million. Wow. So over, what, three years? Yeah. They've just gone from 55 to a bill. Yeah. Wow. They've gone from, it's like, incredible. the population of the UK to, like, an eighth of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Um, Full credit. They have twice as many users as Snap. They make about a third of the advertising revenue. Wow. Seriously under monetized. Yeah. So they're building a whole bunch of new features and tools. Apparently they have 1,400 job openings at the moment. <laughs> so if you're looking Imagine for- Imagine being in their HR department. Yeah. If you're looking for a job, uh, ByteDance might be one to, to look at. And a lot of those are in- Ad tech. So they're getting serious about building out a self-service advertising platform similar to what the rest of these tech companies have. They already have one, but um, I think they're really looking to build it out. But a billion monthly active users, if they can nail their ad business, you would expect uh, especially Facebook to, to suffer as a result. Yeah, it's interesting. Seems like all these companies that have huge audiences all vying for attention 
now trying to monetize that attention in a big way. Yeah. 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 And uh, double down on, yeah, I mean, Amazon obviously making shed loads of money in other ways, but recognizing the, I guess, the value of having so many people use the platform, getting advertisers, and to your point, getting the advertisers as close to that purchase decision as possible. Yeah. So I think it's like Google has this unfair advantage of being what they have like 96% market share in search or something like Google will be fine. Yeah. Facebook for me is the one that's interesting because Amazon can probably get them closer, an advertiser closer to the purchasing decision. I put a pin in the whole Facebook for business and Facebook shop stuff. TikTok can offer longer engagement. Like the numbers coming out of how long people spend on TikTok compared to other social platforms is just ridiculous. Mm. And Spotify can potentially give people greater context. Mm. Like Mm. you can – audio is something you listen to while you're doing other things and for advertisers that's quite unique whereas Facebook, you're either on Facebook or you're not on Facebook. You're not doing anything else when you're on Facebook. Mm. So for me that's an interesting one. They've obviously got other revenue streams that they're building – If you're interested in big tech, you should be very interested in digital advertising. Yeah, and it's great for advertisers now that there's more opportunity to hit segments other than through Facebook, Yeah, which is good. The other interesting thing is that there's a lot of noise from regulators about this ad duopoly and no one's been that effective at doing anything about it. You know, the ACCC in Australia has made noise. In the US, there's not as much noise. But in Europe, there's a fair bit of noise. But what might actually break this duopoly isn't, government intervention it might just be competition better tech yeah yeah well pretty fascinating stuff go spotify (laughs) (laughs) but anyway to close out ren we have been speaking about woolies a fair bit i feel on the last couple of episodes but this is just a short and sharp this is like as soon as you mentioned it and dropped it into the google doc i was like here we go mr (laughs) mr woolworth second week in a row (laughs) wants to talk about a lot going on there a lot going on at the great retailer i just want to get your thoughts on this because we often talk on the show about the importance of understanding remuneration incentives when it comes to executives and understanding how that drives their decisions to run businesses and the difference between sort of short-term remuneration bonuses and how that impacts short-term thinking and the difference between that and creating long-term shareholder value. Just thought this was an interesting one that Woolies have now changed their performance metrics for their uh, executive team. So their traditional performance metrics used to determine remuneration and bonuses was looking at relative shareholder returns, looking at return on funds employed, and then looking at sales per square metre, which is such a retail metric, and all of those were considered in equal weight. Okay. What they then did was say, well, sales per square metre now feels like it's becoming less and less relevant as we have things like the B2B business growing and e-commerce and, you know, other less traditional forms of bricks and mortar, and we're going to get rid of that and we're going to replace it with a metric that measures our reputation as a business and uh, replace that instead of sales per square metre. 20% will be weighted towards the reputation and 80% towards the traditional sort of return, shareholder return and and return on funds employed. I guess the reasons why they've done this, Woolies has been battered a little recently in terms of its reputation with the 500 million sort of wage underpayment scandal. They tried to open a Dan Murphy's mega store in an Indigenous community in Darwin, which didn't go down too well. And there is the cynical view that they've gotten rid of the sales per square metre because it's incredibly hard to cycle 
numbers from COVID. True, true. <laughs> so why would you want to be measured on something that's going to be really hard to beat? Yeah, and <laughs> potentially because of those scandals, their reputations are all time Very low. Very low, yeah. So, yeah, take the cynical view. So that that's what they've done, but I, I just sort of want to close out by putting a few open-ended questions out to get your view on it. What does it mean as a shareholder? Like uh, there's a couple of fund managers. There's a guy called Stephen Johnson. He works at Forager Funds. He's the CIO there and he said he's seeing more and more companies turn to these sort of softer metrics as they're called. When you say softer, do you mean harder to quantify or softer as in like... Yeah, harder to quantify. Metrics that... Um, you could say are rewarded based on effort rather than like hard outcome okay. on paper. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're not yeah. going to just get a, that's your, that's your number. Yeah. You need an auditor to come in or some sort of independent body to kind of just say, yeah, your reputation's increased. Um, I'm sure they would define how they're going to measure it. Of course it. they it would. Be of course, like, they, of course uh, they will. Yeah. You know, net promoter scores or something of course, like that. Yeah, yeah but yeah, it's, yeah. It's, not as, it's not as hard and fast as say a return on shareholder capital or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess the question is, as an investor is, is this good? Do you think it is going to be better for shareholder value? Is it going to get the desired outcome of actually improving reputation in the business? Because for me, I understand where they're coming from, but it is just going to be very, it's, it's going to be hard to measure. And I think like sales per square meter, you know results in shareholder value. Like if you're increasing sales per square meter or if you're increasing whatever the metri- the hard metrics are, you know that generally speaking that's going to result in some sort of shareholder value. Harder to quantify whether or not uh, a great reputation does result in shareholder value is one way to look at it. It's one way to look at it. I like the fact that companies are thinking about this and, and I think, you know, incentives matter. That's a truism if there's ever been one. But when we're talking about executives that could be in line for millions of dollars worth of bonuses, these incentives influence behaviour. Yeah, sales per square metre makes a lot of sense, but it also could incentivize, you know, the wrong behaviour if you're trying to close stores mm. that you could turn around, mm. but it's like sack the square meterage, jack up the sales number by keeping higher performing stores. It's like, is that is that a long-term investment? Or like making, getting ahead of population growth and saying we're going to open stores that will start by doing 200 grand a week in sales, but we know as population density improves around it, they can get to a million. Well, maybe that population density will happen in five years Mm. and I'm on a three-year contract as Mm. CEO Mm. and I'm planning to retire after that. So I'd rather just take the money now. So like every incentive that you build has multiple dimensions to it. In the same way, this reputation, like maybe that will really engender long-term thinking about like, We've got scale across Australia. We now want to focus on people loving Woolworths. Yeah. So if they live closer to a Coles, they'll have a brand affinity to Woolworths and they'll drive that extra five minutes to get to a Woolworths. And, like, maybe that is building long-term value. But you could be cynical and you could say if all that matters is shareholder return and reputation, well, let's just juice the advertising campaign. (laughs) It's like let's let's not actually invest in – any innovative parts of our business, let's just make us look sh- good. Make our net promoter score really good. Get yeah. Brad Banducci out in get him on the podcast in the podcast world <laughs> yeah. and uh, be- butter up his reputation. So, like, there's cynical ways you can think about it, but I think the fact that they are thinking about it is the news and is important at this point. Yeah, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if 
things like sustainability say, uh, get yeah. built into more and ESG. more um, performance metrics because if I was a future super or an Australian ethical investments and I was thinking maybe we're not going to get a board seat, maybe we're you know not going to be able to get the votes to actually get someone on, but what else can we do? I, I would be looking at board and executive remuneration and looking at their incentive structures. I, I think it's interesting. It is interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. It'd be great to see how this impacts sustainability and ESG. So, yeah, I promise that that will be the last Woolworths content for a while. Until uh, Brad Banducci agrees to come on the true, podcast. True, true. If you're yeah. out there, Brad, and you're listening, we would love to hear from you. Uh, if you're a part of the Woolworths network or the investor relations team, we have reached out. Check your emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you used to work with Bryce and uh, you want to do him a solid. Yeah, come when, on, guys. When you next see Banducci in the hallway, when <laughs> everyone know. can go back to the office, tap him on the shoulder, wear your Equimate shirt to work. Whatever it. it takes. That's it. Whatever it takes. <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> and similarly, Coles people, I've also reached out to the Coles team. Help a brother out. Help a brother. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, just a reminder that our Get Started Investing book is now available as well. If you haven't bought one yet or know of a friend or family member who want to start their investing journey, head to uh, any of the online book retailers. They are also in bookstores at the moment. So go and grab one. Great Chrissy present uh, if you're thinking of adding some books into the stocking. Also, we are doing a summer series uh, across our entire network and we would love to hear stories for our Get Started Investing podcast. Uh, anything to do with big wins, losses, um, you know, mistakes or things that you wish you knew, uh, hit us up at contact at equitymates.com. Use the link in the show notes um, or dob in a mate who might have a great investing story to share and you can have your time on the show chatting with Ren and I about your story, five minutes, 20 minutes, whatever it may be. You can remain anonymous. Uh, or oh, one final thing, please do rate and review. It always helps us in the charts. And if uh, there's any support that you can show other than buying the book and coming on the show, it's to rate and review. <laughs> Bryce asks a lot of you. I do he ask for a lot. A lot. <laughs> I ask for a lot. But uh, look, it's always great chatting stocks, Ren, and we'll be back next week. Sounds good. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.